0: The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. So the question came up weeks back, you know, of identifying that direction, knowing that you're in God's will, knowing that you're hearing his direction or His counsel, as you are in the Word or in prayer, and you're being led by the Spirit of God. Uh, there's there's a need for us to understand what it is that God's counsel it, uh, consists of, and we find that in the Scripture. Here, it's been the foundation uh, for the entire series. We're going to continue in that today. Uh, before we do that, I want to give you a few things that we're going to find. Uh, these are just meant to encourage you as you're, you're listening and as you're, you're turning in the Scripture there to anticipate a few things that that we're going to receive together. So one of these things is going to be, you know, how to stay clean. How to stay clean. It's kind of might sound a little goofy, but I remember having this really powerful revelation one time, and it was in a really practical setting. I had just been born again. When I was born again, I was working in agriculture, and we had had the opportunity to obtain uh, some, some ground that had never been put into farmland. It was out in the middle of of nowhere and and tests were run and there was good water on it and so it was understood that this could be turned to to agricultural land. and uh, So the, the hilltops were scraped off and the valleys were filled in, there were all of these wonderful things that I got to be a part of and I mean you really feel like you've accomplished something when at the end of the day, you know, the sunsets changed because you scraped that hilltop off, you know. I mean you changed the landscape it was a real sense of accomplishment and we grew Uh, some uh, corn for Frito-Lay, food corn, you probably ate some of the corn that I grew, and uh, if you like Fritos or Doritos or whatever it is that they're turning that into, you probably ate some of the corn that I grew. Anyway, the point is, is that we were out there and we were doing those things, but the ground was very sandy, very sandy, extremely sandy, you know, I mean, the wind would blow and you'd just watch it blow and you'd see it build up in dunes and things like that. So, in order to respond to this problem, we couldn't let that sand blow away, we had to, to truck in some material that would be beneficial. And the cheapest route was to use the uh, manure from cattle. And one of the guys there, I still to this day think he did it on purpose. He swears he didn't. But decided, hey, when we're trucking in this, the, you know, these tons upon tons upon tons upon tons of manure, we need a place to stockpile it. Well, he put it right next to my house. That's not a good way to make friends. That was really kind of hard living there for a while. But anyway, they'd bring these big trucks in and they'd spread it out. And, you know, they'd fill up the trucks and the trucks would drive over the sand and the, all these mechanisms would turn in the back and it'd just be flinging poo everywhere. I mean, it's a chimpanzee's dream job. And they just piled it up on the ground and you'd walk out there. And then, of course, you'd want to you'd kind of till it in and stir it in and, and you want to leave it enough on the top to weigh it down, but you wanted to get some of the nutrients in there. I had a dog at the time. I'd just gotten born again, and man, I preached the gospel to this dog all the time. I think my Labrador, they say all dogs go to heaven. Well, I know this dog made it because this dog got preached to a lot, you know. And I was so on fire for Jesus, and I, my life had been completely turned around and set free from all kinds of things. And, and I remember... Uh, She was filthy, and so I thought, oh, I've got to clean you. I I, 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 I need to clean. So I took her inside the house and put her in the bathtub and hosed her off and washed her off real good. You know, the tub is nasty. There's about a half inch of dirt on the, you know, and I I clean her up. And, you know, we go to sleep that night, and we wake up, and... Oh, it's a beautiful morning. I'm a Christian. I'm alive. The things that used to hold me in bondage don't anymore. Hallelujah. Let's go to work. I load up my dog. I go to the tractor and we service the equipment and get in and fire it up and take off. And we're just plowing away. This is how I plow. And it's time to take a break, you know. I mean, you've been plowing for a while. I look down at my dog. I know she needs to take a little break. So we pull over and stop. And I I open up the door and just say, you know, go ahead. And she bolts out. And I'm just sitting there thinking, life is awesome. I'm born again. My dog is clean. Wait a second. I look over and my dog had found the biggest chunk of cow manure that she could possibly find. First she took a big bite out of it, then she turns and flops herself on top of it and just starts doing this number, rolling around back and forth, and then looks at me, and I don't think I've ever really seen a dog smile before, <laughs> but somehow she managed to like pull her jowls back and up and just looked at me like, I am loving this. And, and part of me just thought, you stupid dog. And then another part of me thought, wait a second, I, I could learn something from this. So, I mean, God's cleaned us up, there's no doubt about that. Praise God for the, the work of the, the power of the blood of Jesus and the, that there's not going to be a, a sin or a condemnation for sin that exists in my life, but my daily choices can affect whether I live clean or not. I and mean, the, the Bible has a word for that, it's called defilement. And defilement's a big deal. I mean, it's a thing, it's a real thing. And so uh, I want to understand something as we get into the Word this morning. I want to find out how to stay clean, what we need to examine in order to stay clean. And uh, we're going to see that in the Scripture here. It's a a really important thing. Another thing we're going to find is uh, what we need in order to be successful, the key to success. The key to success in any aspect of living. I mean, you could apply it to marriage and family. You could apply it to ministry. You could apply it to business. It just doesn't matter. Key to success. And the third thing that we're going to find is what Jesus prayed for. He asked God to do something in your life. He prayed for you. And there's something very specific that he asked God to do in your life. We're going to find that. So as we get kicked off here, let's jump right in. We've been established uh, in James, James chapter 3, verse 17 has been the foundational verse. It reads like this, wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. Now, we've had this as a foundational verse, establishing what all of God's counsel, wisdom, and direction in our life will be made up of. It's not that when God brings direction into your life, it will be one of these things. It will be all of these things. As God's leading you and guiding you, we ought to be able to check off every one of these boxes to confirm that the leading and guiding direction in our life is from God. It's going to be pure. That's holy. We talked about that weeks back. Peaceable. Not necessarily peaceful because it might be terrifying, the things that God's calling you to do. You know, I mean, he may call you to be a missionary in Iran. Well, that's pretty scary business. But it will be peaceable, meaning it's making room for peace to be possible. We talked about that weeks back as well. Gentle. Uh, gentle. always be gentle. Reasonable. Meaning preparing you to obey or willing to yield. Now, that was when I mentioned I had struggles with, along with gentle a little bit. But we got into the word and we established what that meant. It was a really great time in the word. If you missed that, you you can go back online and find it. Full of mercy and good fruits. We talked about that. Another powerful element of God's wisdom and direction. Uh, Unwavering. We talked about that last week. That it's going to be consistent. A word that the Bible uses a lot is steadfast. As we got into that last week, it was very edifying. Now, this week is the the final week in the series, uh, unless there's an addition that I'm not aware of yet, without hypocrisy. Now, as God speaks to us, as He leads us, as He guides us, as we find guidance in His Word, as we're led by His Spirit, as He directs us, it will always be all of those things. It's going to be holy, it's going to make peace possible, it'll be gentle, it'll position us for obedience, it will be full of mercy and good fruits. It will be consistent or steadfast or unwavering, and it will be without hypocrisy. So I want to look at hypocrisy for a moment as we we set up the the message today. We're going to move rather quickly through a lot of Scripture. I want to look at hypocrisy just by definition. Uh, If you were to, to look up the word hypocrisy, you're going to find this as a definition or something close to it. The practice of professing beliefs, feelings, or virtues that one does not hold or possess. Then, in short, it gives a little one-word definition, falseness. Falseness. Now, if you took the word hypocrisy from the Greek, just the word hypocrisy from the Greek, it means like it's an acting term, a play actor. You know, someone that wears a mask and puts on a show and a display, they, they pretend to be something that they're not. So hypocrisy by definition is is falseness, the practice of professing beliefs, feelings, or virtues that one does not hold or possess. I think that hypocrisy is a a massive issue within Christianity because you have a group of people who have such a defined set of virtues and beliefs that we're called to adhere to and live by, that we're given the grace of God to walk in and operate in. I mean, really and truly, the, the fact that we've been set free from all of the past corruption and sin is not just to escape judgment for those things, but it's to be equipped to do the things that are right here and now. And then we're even empowered by the Spirit of God, by the grace of God, to make great choices and decisions. We, we've been given outs as it concerns temptation. The Bible promises that in Corinthians 10. We have all of these wonderful things to equip us to live a life of the virtues and beliefs that we profess as Christians. Now, falseness is going to be a problem. It introduces a huge challenge. Any element of falseness in the believer's life is, is going to be a violation to very foundational things. I mean, things found even in like the Ten Commandments, for instance. If you want to write these down for your notes, you can take these down. I mentioned we're going to move very quickly, but I want to get to a point uh, before we close, and, and it's very important that we do that. Exodus 20, verse 16, and Deuteronomy five twenty. these are things pulled from the Ten Commandments, and the command is, you shall not bear false witness Against your neighbor. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Now, there's a couple of ways that I've read that, and in the past I just saw that through a very, you know, law and order, dung dung kind of mentality. You know the show, right? Where everything is, you know, you have the right to remain silent, and then a sarcastic line and then they're standing there in court, and you have this last-second drama that seals the case and all of those things. Well, that's kind of how I read that verse, that, you know, basically, I shouldn't take the stand and make up junk about my neighbor. You should not bear false witness against your neighbor. Well, that's a good way to interpret it, but it's not the only way to interpret it. What I realize today is that my entire life is a witness to my neighbor. I mean, we live and we, we operate and we speak and we, we function empowered by the Spirit of God, delivered from sin and corruption as a witness testifying of God's goodness and His faithfulness and the work of Jesus Christ and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Our life bears witness of the work of God. And if our life, which is to bear witness of the work of God, bears false witness through actions that don't line up with those virtues that are professed through Christianity, then we're going to have a problem. We're creating stumbling blocks for our neighbor. If people know that I'm a Christian, and they understand that my beliefs are to walk uprightly and that my beliefs are to honor God and my beliefs are to do the things that Christians do, but then they see my life living another way, they see me not doing those things, it's going to create a stumbling block and a problem. God's called us to not bear false witness. It means evaluating our lives and our actions to see to it that our witness lines up with the life of a believer. Now, I mentioned to you how to stay clean. Told a little goofy story about my dog. I love that dog. It's important that we live our lives in such a way that we bring honor and glory to God and we actually bear a true witness to those around us for the work that he's done in our lives, the redemption and the deliverance and the freedom. Because it's for freedom that He set us free. His grace, powerful, is sufficient for us to carry us through any trial and any temptation. Matthew chapter 15 verse 19 reveals kind of how we can stay clean in an indirect way. And I think you'll see it clearly when we read it together. Matthew 15 19, it says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts, False witness. Did you see false witness in there? Slanders. These are the things which defile a person. Defilement. I mean, that's kind of an interesting word. We really don't use it very often. Defilement. If we decide to stay clean, if our choice is to stay clean, if our desire is to stay clean, God's done this wonderful work in my life, and it's not so that I could return to those things that defile, but it's so that I can be delivered from them. When I read this passage of Scripture, I know it's going to require examining my heart. My heart. This has come up a lot in my household. In growing, in, in maturing, and developing as a Christian, and developing as a man, and developing as a husband. I mean, I could tell you a little bit about myself, and, and it wouldn't overexpose. There are elements in my life where I feel like there was a little bit of a, an arrested development, so to speak. Like maybe I was a late bloomer in some things, and, and catching on kind of late in life, how to make certain choices and decisions and function and operate. But let me tell you what this passage of Scripture, if it can be caught by us, can set us free from. It can set us free from the roller coaster of highs and lows, ups and downs. It can set us free from the treadmill of doing all of this work but not getting anywhere. And I mean, this is me kind of showing my clay feet a little bit, but early on in our our marriage, my wife and I struggled with a number of things that had to do with my attitudes and my perspectives toward things. And I remember very early on, I mean, like, you know, the honeymoon had just ended, and she finally got to see my true colors in a certain sense, and, and I remember thinking, well, this is who you married, so get used to it. And I made a comment to her at one point that, it, I don't even remember what the, the conflict was over, but I made the comment, well, this is who I am. And I remember my wife's comment, some of you have heard this story before, but it wasn't sassy, and it wasn't... It wasn't angry you know she didn't do this thing with her neck I can't even do it there was no finger snapping or anything like that it was very gentle it was very controlled I mean self-control was was absolutely manifest in this comment and it was extremely appropriate and and what she ended up saying to me was this she said well there's really only one I am I, I think you can change and I realized that, wow, I think she's right. I don't like that she's right, but she's right. And, and so then I was set on this, this track of change, right, where I wanted to, to make sure I didn't say the things that were wrong and, and think the things that were wrong. And, and so what you ended up with was this attempt to discipline this issue in my life. Or I'll maybe try to catch it at the gate, you know. Or, or, or filter it out of my mind. But the problem with all of that is it's still at the gate and it's still in my mind. I mean, you know, it's, it's like caging a tiger, you know. God hasn't called us to cage the tiger. He's, he's called for the tiger to die. And so I realize now that this isn't a matter of of discipline and just trying to watch what I say, even though I think that, you know, you're way out of line and I should put you in your place. I'm just gonna you know, because that opens up the door for things like sarcasm and other things where, where you continue to tear apart even indirectly or passive aggressively. But what I realize now, it's not a matter of discipline, it's a matter of, of getting set free. I mean, I use words like deliverance and things like that, but it's a matter of ministering to issues in the heart, because it's out of the heart that those things come. When we had that first dispute, it was out of my heart that I bowed up in arrogance and refused to, to listen. And refuse to change in any way. It's been out of my heart that there's been evil thoughts or that there's been immoral things or there's been other elements that have come through my life. It has come out of my heart. So the need for ministry to take place is not on my lips or in my mind, but it's in my heart. Get it fixed in the heart and you'll see the results in the mind. Get it fixed in the heart and you'll see the results at the mouth. Get it fixed in the heart. And you'll see the results in the attitude. Because everything I profess as a Christian, all of the, the righteous living and all of the cleanliness and all of these things, if those things are professed, but they're not lived out, there's a need for there to be something cleaned up, ministered to, or addressed in the heart, or else I run the risk of bearing false witness. And God's empowered us to be free from bearing false witness by introducing truth by the Holy Spirit into our lives, His grace, His goodness. This is a work of sanctification that is taking place in each one of us. It's the reason why the Scripture would say things like, God will continue what He's begun in you until it's perfect. And He says that's going to take until the day of the Lord. So any of us that think we've arrived at that point have missed it. He's continually working in us. In fact, you'll see words like salvation in the scripture in three tenses. You'll see it past, I've been saved. You'll see it present tense in the scripture, being saved. And you'll see it future tense, that we shall be or will be saved. I mean, salvation is an ongoing work that we are living out in our lives as we're surrendering our hearts to be purged of all hypocrisy, to be ministered to so that we can not bear false witness. So, false witness, I could read you a bunch of scriptures that are in the notes here, and I prefer not to. I mean, it's just a matter that it's bad news. So bad that, that Jesus compares it to things like murder and things like that. And when he does that, he's not doing that to, you know, there's no organ music. He's not trying to do that for the sake of drama. What he's trying to do is position us to understand that this needs to be dealt with. I mean, we can justify a lot of stuff. But things like murder and stuff like that, no, we know that's bad. But when we get into this, it starts to get into the fine elements of our heart, the fine-tuning of our hearts, and Jesus is saying, that's a big deal. He dealt with a group of people, we're going to talk about them here in a bit, a group of people who would strain at little things, but then they would forget about big things. And Jesus' response to them was, you should do both. You should watch for the little things, but don't forget the big things. And in this, bearing false witness, Jesus was trying to warn us that it's no small thing. I want to give you a passage of scripture here. I want to read it to you, and I want it to just be understood that it's meant to communicate the severity of falseness. It comes from the Psalms. It comes from Psalm 81. It's verse 15. It says, those who hate the Lord. I mean, that's pretty strong language, right? Those who hate the Lord. We don't have any songs that talk about that, do we? I don't think so. But those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him. And then it goes on to say their time of punishment would be forever. I mean, it's pretty severe language. Now, that severe language isn't something that we use like a stick to beat people with here in the church. What it is, is it's a call to understand that evaluating our heart, our words and actions, being in a constant state of looking at the things that we do, seeing to it, do these things line up with the life, the attitude, the words of a Christian? And if they don't, let us respond accordingly and appropriately. I mean, God hates hypocrisy, and we should hate it too. I'll read a few passages of Scripture here, and I'm going to blow through them very quickly. Proverbs 6.16, I believe it's 6.16. Proverbs 6, a false witness, is listed as one of the things that God hates. He he lists seven things that He hates, and a false witness or hypocrisy is one of those things. And Psalm 119.104, it says, From your precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. In Psalm 119, 163, I, I hate and despise falsehood, but I love your word. We're starting to see a contrast here to what's false and what's not false, to what's false and what's true. And I'll give you a word out of the Proverbs here, 13.5. A righteous man hates falsehood. I mean, that's pretty cut and dry. As we function and we operate in righteousness, there needs to be in us something that Jesus would call us all to. And it's an examination, a self-examination. I'll, we'll get to that in just a moment, actually. I'm looking forward to getting to that. It's something that I believe will, will equip each of us in the room to function and operate in strength as believers. So you'll find a series of scriptures that reveal that falsehood never goes unnoticed. I mean, it's, it's really understood in elementary if you understand that God's everywhere all the time and that he sees all things. That's really one of the things that we have to come into an awareness of when we become believers. I mean, even though there would be things in the heart that God is purging out of our heart, there ought to be an awareness in our mind that there's absolutely nothing done in secret that remains in secret. There's nothing hidden that won't be uncovered. There's nothing done that won't be revealed. I mean, it's going to come into the light and it's going to be made known. So God knows false men. You'll find that in Job eleven eleven, Ezekiel thirteen eight. It says, "Because there's a proclamation of falsehood, we position ourselves to be against God." Declares the Lord. In Proverbs nineteen verse five and then verse nine, they read like this: "A false witness will not go unpunished." I mean, these are things that are, are going on in our lives. Now, let me just explain something here. By the grace of God in my life as a Christian, the word punishment need not apply anymore. The word discipline, though, very much does. To, for God to direct us, for God to guide us, for Him to lead us out of those false things, for Him to, to move us from old ways and transfer us into new, is like Him guiding a flock of sheep with a staff that does not beat us and bruise us but comforts us according to the Psalms, leads us, and guides us. And back here to the scriptures, uh, Psalm fifty-five twenty-three. 23, but you, O God, you bring them down to the pit of destruction, men of bloodshed and falseness. I mean, men of bloodshed and falseness, it's interesting to me that those two things are even associated, where it's kind of like, oh, yeah, I'm talking about guys that kill people. Oh, yeah, and you know what comes to mind? People that lie. We need to equate that falseness, that hypocrisy with those things that are are easily understood as evil, such as murder and bloodshed. Proverbs 21, 28, a false witness will perish. I mean, you see all of these things existing in the scripture, communicating the severity of falseness. It's no wonder that as God leads us, as he directs us, and as he guides us, his leading and his directing and his guidance will be without hypocrisy. He will be leading us out of all hypocrisy, leading us into all that is true and all that is steady. Now, Jesus dealt with hypocrisy in a major way. In fact, you'll see it throughout the scripture, throughout the gospels and all of the records and the accounts as he deals with uh, hypocrisy among religious leaders and among those that are uh, cheaters and, and scandalous he deals with a number of things, and you'll find a specific area of passages in the Gospel of Luke. You can find it in chapter 12. I want to read a verse that he speaks here because he begins to talk about some of these hypocrisies, some of this falseness. And again, I mean, it's not a message that's going to win any popularity contest, but it is a message that's necessary for us to complete this series because as God's leading you and guiding you, it will always be without hypocrisy. As he brings wisdom and counsel and direction in your life, it will always be in line and in agreement with the life of the believer. I mean, there's never going to be a time in my life where God's counsel is for me to step outside of his scripture for a moment. And I want to tell you this is important that we hold this and that we have this as Christians. It's something that sets us apart among all faiths. The reason why we can read about men like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who would face the lion's den and who would face the furnace. The reasons why we have a king and a savior like Jesus who would go to the cross without any hypocrisy. Refusing hypocrisy sets us apart. I want to just, just for kicks, I mean, it's not to stir anything scandalous or to, to provoke any. Uh, strange thoughts or anything. But I w- it, now, when you leave here today and someone says, hey, how was your church service today? Don't say, man, my pastor, he was on fire. He was preaching out of the Koran. But I want to tell you a few things that are in the Koran, okay? If you want to jot them down, you can. I mean, you don't have to. Now, the Koran's broken up different than your scripture. But it's in the Koran 16106. 16 colon 106. 16, 106. It establishes that there are circumstances that can compel a Muslim to lie, and it be okay. The Quran 3.28, that Muslims don't have to uh, uh, take those who are of an outside faith, or they are able to take those as an outside faith as friends in order to guard themselves, but they don't actually have to be friends with them. I mean, that's false. So here's one that's a little less ambiguous. Quran 9.3. Uh, Allah and his messengers are free from liability to the idolaters. Now that's interesting to me. That would be like if I were to say, hey, Jesus says you can lie to unbelievers. You just have to tell the truth to Christians. But we can go into the business world and we can cheat and steal and scam all of those unbelievers because they got it coming, those dirt bags. Praise Allah. It's interesting, isn't it? That there's this... this in and there's this included compromise in that scripture, in that text, that's, that's so false and so outside of how we function and operate as Christians, it ought to make you realize the importance of truth in our lives as believers. It sets us apart. I'll give you a couple of more. Now, this is from the, the sixty six two. You're, you might think this one's interesting. Allah has already ordained the disillusion of your oath meaning that it's okay to have lied because Allah already knew about it before you did it. You see, all responsibility for telling the truth is removed and lifted. There's no need to be true because it's okay. God already knew I was going to lie there. We have a problem here when we deal with these things and we see the, the things that exist in our lives and we contrast them to these things. We need to understand that, that these false religions are driven by spirits and those spirits are driving their way or attempting to get into the church i mean i've seen christians lie i've seen them cheat i've seen them steal and it's amazing to hear their justification for these things i mean generally it's pretty shallow and selfish it's things like well i deserve it or i deserve to be happy or this this that and the other and it's very childish but the reality is that same lying spirit, in, that the, the lying spirit that is existing in whether it's Islam or whether it's trying to invade the church, it is definitely a spirit, we'll see that in just a moment, is attempting to touch my heart and your heart on a daily basis. Here's another one from the Quran, 4028. Uh, you are allowed to hide your faith among those who are not believers. Here's another one 2225 Allah will not call you into account for thoughtless oaths I want to stop with that one It's enough about Allah But what you see here is that written into that faith written into that text is the right to compromise You'll never find that in the scripture You'll never hear Jesus teach it. You'll never hear any one of the prophets speak it. You'll never hear. In fact, you'll hear the opposite. You'll hear of our king being obedient even unto death when he could have stood before Pilate and said, you know what, I'm not really a king. (laughs) Fingers crossed behind my back. I just want to dupe you to get out of this so I can keep on doing what I do because that's what I do best. We don't have that in our faith or in our belief system. What we have in our faith and our belief system is the power of truth. The power of truth. And Jesus is dealing with the attempts for there to be compromise, for there to be hypocrisy that is finding its way into the hearts of people who are desiring to be the people of God or proclaiming to be the people of God. He's dealing with this issue of hypocrisy. And it's not just that he dealt with it 2,000 years ago. I personally believe, and I can testify in my own life, he's dealing with it today. So in Luke chapter 12, you see Jesus begin to speak, and he talks about a group that's suffering horrible hypocrisy. And it starts to, it reads like this. He says, after thousands of people had gathered together, and they they were even stepping all over each other, the crowd was so big he began to speak to the disciples. And he said, first of all, isn't that funny? I mean, I really can't think of a time in the scripture where Jesus says, first of all, except here. First of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. He's talking about a specific group of religious leaders who have been spreading their, their teachings and things like that. They're proclaiming things, but yet in their heart, those things don't exist. When he goes through these things, he begins to speak of, of a number of things. We're going to look at them from another gospel. We'll see most of them out of the Gospel of Matthew. But I want to look at some things that can challenge our ability to walk uprightly. These things can be signs of hypocrisy, the existence of hypocrisy in our life. Now, if we find that these things are in our life, it's no object of of condemnation. It doesn't mean that you're not a real Christian. It just simply is something that when we point it out, we would want to get out of our lives. I mean, I I have no doubt it's no different than if there were a mosquito on my arm and I I would want it off of me, right? So for you and for me, if we see these things in our life, we need to purge these things out of our life. So here's one of them, a sign of hypocrisy, a self-promotion. Self-promotion could be a sign of hypocrisy. I'll give you a couple of passages of Scripture as Jesus is dealing with this group that he says is filled with hypocrisy, the Pharisees. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees, this is in Matthew chapter 23, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves, that's interesting, they appointed themselves. Nobody appointed them, nobody called them, but yet they appointed themselves into the chair of Moses or a judgment seat. And then we see here in Matthew chapter 6, it talks about hypocrisy again. It says, when you give, don't do it with the sound of the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. They do these things so that they might be honored by men. I mean, that doesn't mean you can never talk about giving. I mean, you'll hear me tell testimonies of times when it was very difficult, but God called us to, and then there was this wonderful response. I mean, that's not what it's saying. But what it's saying is, if you give to be seen by men, that's a problem. If you do it in order to be seen or exalted or honored by men, that's a problem. If you do it for your own glory, that's a problem. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 5 goes on to talk about prayer When you pray or minister, it doesn't matter. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who stand and do it publicly on the corners so that men may see them. Well, there's nothing wrong with public prayer. I mean, I, I didn't pull my vest up over my head during worship because I was in prayer for fear that someone might see me. No problem with praying in public, but yet it's the motive of the heart. Remember, Jesus said it's the heart and the condition of the heart where all of these things that defile come from. If we're doing those things to impress, if I ever decide, you know what, I really feel like I want to light the afterburners and I want to preach the best message ever so that people will think I'm a good preacher, watch out. That's a slippery slope. Because it's not for our glory, it's not for us. Everything that we're called to do is meant to exalt Jesus who exalts the Father and you see the Heavenly Father exalted and glorified through the actions that we perform empowered by the Spirit of God and the authority of the name of Jesus. I mentioned before, we're going to find out uh, the key to success. I'll give that to you here out of Matthew 23, verse 12. It's just a very simple thing. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled. And whoever humbles himself will be exalted. I mean, all of the things that we profess as Christians are the things that make Jesus who he is. He emptied himself. He became a servant of all. If we profess those things and then yet we desire to be served or we desire to exalt ourselves, we're going to function in hypocrisy, which is no bueno. It's bad news. Another sign of hypocrisy that could exist in the believer's life, and if it does exist, it's revealing of a need to to have it ministered to and purged out of our life, self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Luke chapter 18, verse 14, how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when you yourself have a log in your own eye? Well, I mean, which one's bigger, a log or a speck? The log, right? And Jesus goes on when he's talking about this concept and he says, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you can see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So he doesn't say don't minister to each other. He just says deal with the things that are in your life. Deal with those things first. Don't pass judgment on others. It will equip you to do the things that you're called to do at a higher level with more effectiveness and efficiency. There's no doubt about that. We deal with the things that are present in our lives before passing judgment. Uh, Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6 is quoted in the New Testament that everything that makes up our righteousness outside of Jesus is absolute filth. I mean, there's just no righteousness on our own. It's all Jesus. So any idea that we are, are self-righteous in any way, shape, or form is absolutely false. So here's another one that can be existent in our lives. I mean, this one is a little bit odd to share, so you may have to just kind of bear with me because sometimes I might say things that don't communicate how you would say it. But I wanted to, I wanted to communicate something specific. I mean, I know some pastors would just say tradition, but tradition's not bad at all. In fact, tradition's great. There's a lot of tradition in the Scripture that we're meant to, to abide by and adhere to that's really fantastic. But misprioritized tradition can be a sign of hypocrisy. Misprioritized tradition. Misprioritized tradition. I mean, you'll see this throughout the scripture. Jesus dealt with this a lot in the gospels. I mean, specifically when he would would be ministering and people would be being set free and it might fall on the Sabbath day and everyone says, well, you can't do that because technically you worked," And Jesus would be like, are you kidding me? I mean, this person is in bondage. They're suffering. Should I not set them free? Is it not our Father's uh, will that they be set free and not suffer on the Sabbath day? I mean, you can read about those things. In fact, I encourage you to specifically in Luke chapter 13. Now, there's a specific area here where Jesus addresses hypocrisy by name. There's a woman, a woman who's been uh, ill for 18 years. When I say ill, not coughing and sneezing. But it's it's a... issue of bones in her body. And she's been so crippled for 18 long years that Jesus delivers her and sets her free, and people actually get mad. They get mad because it violates their tradition. So Jesus deals with that. Here's what he says, and of course, this is where he addresses hypocrisy by name. He says, you hypocrites, This woman, a daughter of Abraham as she is, whom has been bound for 18 long years, should she not have been released from this bondage on the Sabbath day? But I mean, misprioritized tradition can be a sign of hypocrisy, and we ought to watch for that. Jesus dealt with hypocrisy again in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Mark chapter 7. And he speaks about things, he speaks about the the book of Isaiah, the prophecy that Isaiah produced. He says, Isaiah correctly prophesied about you hypocrites. As it is written, this people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. It goes on to say that in vain they worship me, teaching doctrines and precepts of men, neglecting the commandments of God and holding to the traditions of men. Now, I hear that, and I think, yeah, go get them, Jesus. But then I think, you just described a lot of churches. You just described a lot of churches. I mean, let's read what he just said again. He said, Isaiah rightly prophesied that hypocrites will do the following. They will honor with their lips, but their hearts will be far from him. It means they'll say all the things, but they won't do them. We'll tell you how to live your life, but we don't live ours that way. It goes on to say that in vain they worship me. Meaning there's absolutely nothing that results from the worship. It it might as well listen to Beethoven or Van Halen or something like that. I mean, because the worship is complete vanity. It's for themselves and it's not for God. Teaching the doctrines and precepts of men, neglecting the commandments of God, but holding to the traditions of men. These are things that we ought to examine. I don't ever want to be rightly described like that. Do I ever say it and not do it? Is my worship in vain? Is is there any part of my life that would put the traditions of men above the command of God in any moment? And if so, it's revealing of hypocrisy and it needs to go. Now, here's another one, and this one was hard for me to to categorize with a title. And if you want to write down a title for it, I think you can just put idolatry idolatry. Now, you don't see Jesus use the word hypocrite here, but yet it's going on. And You'll find it in the passage of scripture uh, in the book of Luke. You'll see in Luke chapter 13. Uh, it's uh, Actually, it's not Luke chapter 13. You'll see it in the gospel there where Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He's coming into Jerusalem and people are cheering and they're clapping and they're celebrating that he's arrived and they're dancing in the streets and they're throwing down palm leaves and they're throwing down their, their blankets and there's this wonderful celebration and they're all shouting out Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna in the highest. That, that Hosanna comes from two words, Hoshiah and Na, meaning like come and save now. It's this urgent cry for deliverance and for salvation. And referring to Jesus as the son of David, I mean This declaration that the one who is to rule and to reign is coming into his throne and to his kingdom can be interpreted a number of different ways, but the religious leaders wanted it shut down. In fact, they went to Jesus and they said, Jesus, tell them to be quiet. Accusing them of of being blasphemers in this declaration. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus gave a response to those who requested this silence to the Pharisees, his response was, if I tell them to be quiet, the rocks will cry out. I mean, this is a kind of a strange statement, right? I mean, if Jesus would have told me that, I probably would have been like, what? But yet these guys knew exactly what he was talking about. They knew what he was referring to. In fact, in, the, the, in saying that statement, he made a very powerful declaration of his identity as the Messiah, the Savior, the Deliverer, the Son of God. Yeah, if, if I tell them to quit celebrating my arrival, the rocks will cry out. And those who were filled with hypocrisy were filled with rage upon hearing this, knowing exactly what he was referring to. What he's referring to comes from the book of Joshua. Joshua chapter 24. I mean, in a lot of our homes, you'll see a passage of Scripture. You know, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Wonderful passage of Scripture, wonderful declaration. Joshua stood before the people of God, the congregation, and he presented to them that day to follow God, to make God the, the one true leader of the nation, and for Him to be their God and for them to be His people and it would mean forsaking all idols and all false gods. And it would mean cleaning out our houses and getting rid of the garbage that doesn't glorify them. All of these things, he goes through all of that list. And everybody cheers and says, yes, we'll do that. And Joshua, being the wonderful, uh, politically correct leader that he is, says, no, you won't. He says, it's going to mean following God and God alone. And everyone cheers and says, yes, 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 we will. And again, he says, no, you won't. And so it happens again, and finally they all decide and agree as a nation with multiple witnesses now. They've testified three times, we will follow God. And that's when Joshua decides to place stones in a specific place. They're stacked, and they're, they're there for a purpose. And Joshua declares, these stones have heard you testify today. When Jesus says, if they quit declaring that I've come to deliver, that I've come to save, the rocks will cry out. He's identifying himself as the deliverer of Israel, the one true God, the promised one. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture as we close here. I want to ask you, if you have your Bibles with you, to turn to John chapter 8. When God's bringing direction into our life, it's always going to be without hypocrisy because he's directing us away from all hypocrisy. When we proclaim one thing and we do another, it's falseness. And when we live lives filled with falseness, there's a massive change in in the existence of who we're following. I'll give you a passage of scripture here, and it's important to me that we catch this with a, a clear understanding. Uh, Jesus is speaking in John chapter eight, and I'm going to begin reading in verse forty-three. He says, "Why do you not understand what I'm saying?" Is it's because you can't hear my word? He goes on to speak to a group of people, and he says something that is really, really potent. He says, "You are of your father, the devil." And you want to do the desire of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in truth because there's no truth in him. Whenever he speaks, he speaks a lie because he speaks from his own nature. He is a liar and the father of all lies. And I want to just stop right there. This has been the passage of scripture that's had a really massive impact on my life. When I think about bending the truth, twisting the truth, or living differently than I would profess. Every bit of of falsehood, every lie, every half-truth presented as a whole truth, all of these things, based on what Jesus would proclaim right there, come from Satan. I want nothing to do with Satan. In fact, it's important for us that we understand that the Holy Spirit and the purpose of the Holy Spirit and the reason for the Holy Spirit being sent is to purge all of these untrue, half-true, and falsehood things from our lives. I'll give you a few passages of Scripture there. You can find in John 14. You can find in John 15. You can find in John 16. Throughout those chapters, you're going to see the Holy Spirit identified as the Spirit of Truth. And as the Holy Spirit being the Spirit of truth is brought into our lives, there's a wonderful purpose for this. And I want to close with this passage. I mentioned before we're going to find out what Jesus prays for us. I'll give you a passage of Scripture out of John chapter 17. If you ever need to be encouraged and uplifted in any way, I want to encourage you to go to John chapter 17. Jesus is praying for you. And as He's praying for you in this prayer, He prays something so incredibly powerful. He asks God to do something. Something that's going to change our lives forever. As he's praying and as he's praying for me and for you, he gets to a passage that that I want us to look at in verse 17. And it's that God do something on our behalf. That God sanctify us in truth. Sanctify, meaning to be set apart or consecrated, to be identified for a holy purpose or or for a, a holy function. And it's interesting to me that he doesn't just ask that we be sanctified, like, hey God, these people are pretty cool, can you just set them aside? But he asks specifically that we be sanctified, knowing full well what it's going to take to do that sanctification, to make that process real, and it's truth. Sanctify them in truth. He goes on to reveal what that is. Your word is truth. As we live out our lives, it's important for us to know and understand the Bible, but not just for the purpose of having head knowledge increase, but to understand that this is the instruction that we have to live our lives by. And that if we profess one thing and we do another, it's going to be destructive not just to ourselves, but to those that witness those things. I mean, when God commands us not to bear false witness, he doesn't simply say don't bear false witness, but he reveals the one that suffers by that false witness, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. When we say one thing and do another, it does damage to the world that we are called to reach with the healing power of Jesus Christ. As God's leading us and as he's guiding us, as his direction comes into our life, it's always going to be, without hypocrisy. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to pray something, and I don't think that there could be any better prayer to pray than that request that Jesus made. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. What that sanctification means and where it goes to work is in the heart, the heart that Jesus spoke of, where all those defiling things can come from, that there be no room for hypocrisies that as we speak the things that God has called us to speak, as we profess and proclaim the things of Christianity, that we function and live out our lives in such a way that those things are made evident by our actions. And I mentioned before, a message like this doesn't win any popularity contests. It doesn't get most downloads. It's not going to make an a iTunes podcast of the week. But it ought to speak something to us, knowing that, listen, if God's wisdom coming into my life is always going to consist of this handful of things, then these handful of things must be extremely important. Holiness is important. Peace is important. Gentleness is important. Mercy is important. Fruitfulness is important. Consistency is important. And this void of hypocrisy in our lives is absolutely important. So important that when God is directing us and guiding us, he's leading us away from those things and into the things that are true. And I want that for me. I want it for you. I want it for us as we stand and as we step out into a city, in a community, as believers, that the power of God flow through our lives Un. Hindered by hypocrisy. There where you stand, I want to pray and I want to ask God to do a work in each of us. A work by His grace, by His goodness. To stir any elements of those things that we could cast them down and walk undefiled. All because of the work of Jesus. So there where you stand, you're welcome to be in agreement or you can just simply be in a state of receiving. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for the wisdom and the counsel that you bring into our lives. We thank you that we are not forced to live lives of just attempting to discipline corruption in our lives, but that you're doing a work in our hearts, a work in our hearts that will purge corruption from our lives completely and absolutely. We thank you for the powerful work that you're doing by your Holy Spirit through our King Jesus. We receive your grace even now as we come together and pray. And we ask that as we receive your counsel and we walk in your wisdom, that freedom from hypocrisy would be the result in every step that we take in every direction, that we would not profess one thing and produce another. But let stability and consistency abide in us as we would walk out our lives empowered by your Spirit, filled with your grace to do the things that we profess and proclaim, to do the things that your word testifies of and that King Jesus has revealed to us in his words and is his example. We bless your name and we thank you. And we ask, Father, in Jesus' name that any hypocrisy that would exist in us would not result in fear of condemnation, but that it would result in surrender, that we would simply lay it down at your feet, that we would open our hearts to receive your work, a work of ministry that would have a powerful result in each one of us. That there would be health and life among your people. That we would not simply speak of those things, but that those things would be real and genuine in each of our lives. Let it exist and thrive in our households, among our children, in our places of business, and our work. Let there be an expansion of all that is good and all that is true as we abandon any element of falsehood and we walk in the light we walk in the truth, and we walk free from hypocrisy, empowered by your Spirit. In the name of Jesus, we bless you, and we give you thanks. We rejoice in you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at championschurch.com.